1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning at verse 23, and we complete our brief series of six messages on spiritual gifts. I don't know how many times I've had people say to me, students in particular, why go to church? And uh, we'd want to answer that question tonight, this matter of the assembly of God's people. 1 Corinthians 14, 23. Now you'll remember that Paul has been discussing the priority of the preaching of the word of God over tongues. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one who is unlearned, he is convicted of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? Let all things be done unto edifying, building up. If any man speak in a tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the others judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. It's rather interesting. The Lord provides for interruptions in the services. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now, before I read these next verses, let me say that it's my conviction here he's talking about tongues because back in chapter 11, he does give the women permission to pray and to testify. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. What? Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, forbid not to speak with tongues, let all things be done decently and in order. Now, back in Paul's day, the assembly of God's people was a very meaningful thing. They couldn't stay home and listen to tapes. 
They couldn't stay home and watch television, listen to the radio, or read a book of sermons. We have all of these privileges. Wednesday evening, I was very sick and was unable to come to the house of God. Pastor Philkin graciously filled in for me, and I was home, had the whole place to myself, and I missed it. And so I immediately got a hold of a book and said, I'm going to at least read something about God's word or God's people so that I might be able to get some kind of strength and edification for this evening. But you see, back in Paul's day, they couldn't turn on a radio or a TV or listen to tapes or read books. They just didn't have these things. Consequently, the assembling of the saints was a very important thing. Plus, they used to meet together for a love feast. They'd have a potluck dinner. And uh, this was probably the only decent meal that some of those slaves had all week long. Now, there were problems in the church at Corinth in their public meetings, so much so that it was causing personal problems in the church. And uh, Paul is discussing in this chapter what it really means for God's people to get together. Why go to church? Our, our Moody students are away from us now for the most part. They're scattered for the summer. But I often speak to them privately and when I have opportunity publicly to warn them that attending a Bible institute is not the same as going to church. This is true of the Emmaus students, the Trinity students, the Wheaton students, and the other students who are privileged to go to Christian schools here in the Chicago area. Now, Paul does not deny the existence of private devotions. Uh, up in verse 2 and in verse 4 and verses 18 and 19, he discusses this matter of ministering in the church and ministering away from the church. Our public meetings are not substitutes for private devotions, obviously, no question about that. But he is assuming that God's people come together for corporate worship. Verse 26, when ye come together, not if ye come together, when ye come together. So Paul is assuming that you and I will share in corporate worship. Now, why is it that many times, perhaps more times than we care to admit, why is it that many times we come away from the assembly of God's people and we do not feel like we've gotten anything? In other words, what can you and I do to have an enriching experience in fellowship with God's people? Now, I'm sure right now somebody, if not many persons, somebody is thinking in his back of his mind, now, wait a minute, Pastor, the kind of meetings that are described in this chapter seem to be different from our services. They seem to be a little more spontaneous, a little more liberty, and I don't doubt that this is true. When all of the saints that were in Jerusalem got together, it would be impossible to have a spontaneous kind of a meeting. In the early church, there's no question that they had the meetings together, and in a smaller assembly, there could be more sharing and more spontaneity. But where there were larger assemblies, during the week, they broke down into smaller groups. They would meet in homes and other places. This is one reason why I have a special love for our Wednesday night service. I'm always sorry that many of our people either cannot or do not attend the Wednesday night service, because there we're able to have a little more spontaneity we can share with one another. I know what we're going to do. I have a beginning point and a terminus point. I have my material plan. But the wind of the Spirit blows the way he wants to blow, and we have some delightful times in the Wednesday evening. This is also true of our Sunday school classes. 
I feel sorry for those people who are not a part of a Sunday school class where the class can get together and share and minister to one another. I don't know about you, but I feel a need for this kind of a ministry. Now here in in the verses that we read this evening, Paul is uh, instructing us on public worship. And he's saying to you and me that we can have an enriching experience of worship if only we will understand some basic truths. He says, if any man's going to be ignorant, let him be ignorant. At the bottom of all problems in public worship, says Paul, is this matter of spiritual ignorance. That's why I think nine or ten times in this chapter he uses the word understanding, understanding, know, learn, understanding. Now, what are these basic truths that we must understand if we are going to have a real experience of worship in the assembly of God's people? I think there are three of them. First, we must understand the purposes for our gathering together. Why do we gather together? Now, he seems to suggest here that there are at least three purposes for our gathering together. Verse 25, to glorify God. Here's a fellow who comes into a service. The word of God speaks to his heart. He falls down and worships God, and he says, God is among you of a truth. Of course, that's what worship is all about. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And our first purpose for gathering together is to glorify God. Now, it may sound like heresy to some of you. You say, well, our first purpose is to win the lost. I'm sorry. Our first purpose in meeting together is to glorify God. First of all, by being there. Did you ever stop to think, I'm sure you have, that when you get up on Sunday morning and you move your body out of bed, which most people don't do on Sunday morning, and you pick up your Bible, and you make your way out, and your neighbors, while they're out picking up the newspaper or mowing the lawn or doing some other spiritual thing, um, they see you leave, you are a testimony. Over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the writer says, let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and especially because you see the day approaching. You know what he's saying there? He is saying that when we gather together, we are bearing witness of two tremendous truths. One, Jesus is alive. We aren't going to awake a funeral. We're coming to fellowship with the living Christ. And though I can fellowship with him at home or in the front seat of my automobile or on a park bench, there is something about the assembly of God's people that testifies to an unbelieving world, Jesus is alive. There aren't very many people meeting once a week in Chicago to fellowship with the former mayors, Mayor Kennelly, uh, Mayor Thompson. They're dead. They're gone. And so when you and I assemble together, it is a testimony that Jesus is alive. Secondly, it's a testimony he's coming again. That word together is a tremendous word. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, we shall be together with the Lord. Right now we are together with the Lord. 
He says we're going to be caught up in clouds. I'll never forget Dr. Kenneth Wiest pointing out to us that that doesn't mean we're going to be caught up only into the clouds. We should be caught up in clouds. If Jesus came, by, came back right now, a great cloud of God's people assembled together would go up to be with him. And so when you come to church, quote unquote, you're bearing witness that Jesus is alive and that he's coming again just by being here. And this helps to glorify God. Now, we glorify God in our praying. We glorify God in our singing. We glorify God in our ministering to each other. Our first reason for assembling is to glorify God. It's not for entertainment. It's to glorify God. Now, there's a second purpose for our coming together. That's to edify the church. He says in verse 26, let all things be done unto edifying. My count may be wrong, but I have counted seven times in this chapter where Paul uses the word edify. To edify means to build up. And so we meet together not only to glorify God, but to edify one another. Oh, how many times I have come to the assembly of God's people discouraged. And someone has ministered to me, and I have gone away edified. I don't know how many times I have come to God's house with a problem. I can think of times when I was in seminary and we had chapel four times a week. And chapel four times a week for nine months over the course of five years can become rather routine if you aren't careful. But I can remember times when there was a problem in the church I was pastoring or there was a personal problem in my life. And I went to the assembly of God's people, went to the chapel service, and somebody spoke or prayed or did something that was exactly what I needed. Now, if you've never had that experience, I feel sorry for you. There's something wrong. We meet together to edify one another. Thirdly, we meet together to testify to the lost. When we meet together to glorify God and to lovingly build up one another, the unsaved people who are present ought to sense that God is there. Now, I have no question the devil is present when God's people gather. He's not very happy about our gathering. The uh, church at Corinth wanted to win people to Christ. This may sound like heresy once again, but I believe it's scriptural. The first step toward testifying to the lost is glorifying God. We win people to Christ by worshiping God and letting them see that God is real. Then by building up one another in love and they say, you know, these Christians have got something. Here's a man who walks into the Corinthian church service. They aren't preaching an evangelistic message necessarily. Someone stands up and gives a word of exhortation. Someone else stands up and gives a word of encouragement. He sees the, the Spirit of God at work in lives. He falls on his face because the Word of God convicts him. Uh, his heart is convicted. The secrets of his heart are made manifest. That's what the Word of God does. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of the joints and the marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. These are the three purposes for our gathering, to glorify God, to edify one another, and to testify to the lost. 
Now, the next time you come to God's house, pray that these purposes will be fulfilled. Ask the Holy Spirit of God to prepare your mind and your heart that you might be able to share in this kind of a ministry. Now, there's a second truth that we have to understand. Not only the purposes for which we meet, but the problems that we face. We face two crucial problems every time the church gathers together. You had them at Corinth. You know what they are? Number one, competition. Number two, confusion. Now, God is not the author of competition. Competition tears down. And God is not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. In the Corinthian church, you had both competition and confusion. Notice verse 26. How is it, brethren, when ye come together, everybody has to do something. This one has a hymn, and this one has a psalm, and this one has a doctrine, and this one has a revelation, and this one has a tongue, and this one has an interpretation. You see, they were coming to the assembly at Corinth not to build each other up, but to build themselves up before each other. Now, if you think it's easy to plan and lead a service of worship, especially one where there's spontaneity and sharing, you try it sometime. I'll never forget being at a summer Bible conference, and they opened up the meeting for sharing. Now, when I, when I say that here at Moody Church, this means stand up, speak up, and sit down. I was always raised this way. And some dear lady, forgive me, ladies, but some dear lady stood up and she talked for 22 minutes. Now, I would have stopped her. Forgive me. My Bible says the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Somebody comes to me and says, oh, the spirit got a hold of me. I just couldn't quit. What kind of spirit was that? When the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of you, my friend, he doesn't bypass your will. He uses your will. He doesn't bypass your mind. He uses your mind. And she killed the meeting. She just killed the meeting. That was the end. Now, that was the problem in Corinth. Each one had a gift, and they wanted to use their gifts to impress people. And forgive me, in many meetings of God's people, there are those who have to shine. Now, sometimes you have the other problem, those who don't want to share at all. They're so reticent and so modest. This is wrong, too. We've got to watch out for the problem of competition. Pastor Dinway and I often talk about these things. I must watch it myself. There's a very fine line between ministry and performance. I've got to be very careful that I am ministering the Word of God, not just performing a duty. This is true of our Sunday school teachers, our ushers, our musicians, all of our people. The reason there was disunity at the church in Corinth, it was divided four different ways, was because of this attitude of competition. Now, I could elaborate on this. I'll not accept to drop this into your heart. We have at the Moody Church numbers of groups. We have several missionary circles. We have those who are interested in camp, those who are in choir. We have numbers of Sunday school classes. We have several youth groups. We have many different groups. How easy it is for them to get competitive. And it should not be so. If something tears down one group, it's not going to build up another group. The body is so constructed that if my hand is healthy, my arm is likely to be healthy. If my hand gets infected, watch it go up my arm. 
And no group ought to be competing with any other group. And when the Holy Spirit is at work, you don't have that kind of competition. The second problem they had was confusion. There was disorder in the church. And this goes together with the competition. There were two basic sources for this disorder. One, the gift of tongues. Now, Paul did not denounce it. He said, look, control it. Stop at three speakers. If there's no interpreter present, then let nobody speak in tongues. Let them just talk to themselves and to God. Uh, They won't understand what they're saying, but God will understand. But you see, what they were doing was uh, exposing their gifts. They were boasting of their gifts, and people were interrupting people, and oh my, it was confusion. And the unsaved come in and say, hey, this is bedlam. This is chaos. We don't want a thing to do with this. Now, it's possible to have a church that's so orderly, it's a mausoleum. It's possible to have a service that is so structured and so dead that there's no life there. The opposite of informal, or the the opposite of structured, is not chaos. It's not anarchy. Please don't get the idea that they assembled together and didn't know what they were going to do. Verse 26 indicates that when they came, they planned to do certain things. One had a psalm he wanted to sing. One had a truth he wanted to share. Don't get the idea that they assembled together and just said, well, what are we going to talk about? That's opening the way to the devil. Paul is not saying you should get so embalmed that there's no life. He's simply saying, as with your body, there is the harmony of the operation. We've got to watch out for confusion. Now, I'm going to add a postscript at this point that may not be meaningful at all to our visitors, but it's meaningful to our church family. We have to be very careful about confusion, Uh, coming and going. You know, I dare say, I may be wrong in this, but I dare say, if you had an appointment tomorrow morning to see President Ford or Queen Elizabeth II, You would go to bed the night before, get your rest. You'd be up early, and you'd be there before you were supposed to be there. But somehow we can't do this at church. Somehow it's necessary. I know we have parking problems around Moody Church, and therefore we're very patient with this problem. I've been here three and a half years, and I can almost make a list of when certain people are going to arrive at services. Really. I'm not saying this critically. I'm saying this sympathetically and I trust helpfully. This is why we have ushers. I thank God for our ushers, so that while the choir is ministering to the Lord and to us, we don't have 50 people running back and forth in front of the church. You say, well, I like when that happens, do you? Try singing sometime or preaching sometime while that's going on. Order. Uh, Not death, not rigidity, order. Let all things be done decently and in order. That word decently means beautifully. Let all things be done beautifully, graciously, in a calmly fashion. There should be beauty in a service. We must understand the problems. We don't come to church to compete with each other. We don't come to church to show off our spiritual gifts. We come to share in order and beauty and worship. 
Now we've reached the most important part of the message. We must understand not only the purposes for which we meet, to glorify God, to edify the church, and to testify to the lost. We must not only understand the problems that we should avoid, competition and confusion. Confusion came from tongues, and it came, unfortunately, from some of the members who wanted to talk out all the time. You must remember that in the early church, the men sat on one side and the women sat on the other side. Now, we don't do that today because it would make the church unbalanced. I have to chuckle to myself when I read about a woman talking to her husband about a spiritual matter. You know, there are many husbands who aren't saved, many husbands who couldn't care less. I suppose there are many wives the same way. But they were talking out in church, and of course this was causing confusion. Third, we must understand the principles to follow in our assembly. Now, there are four of them. I'll just name them, explain them, and then we shall close. There are four basic principles for the assembly of God's saints. Principle number one is the principle of gathering. We are supposed to gather together. Now, he tells us this. Uh, he says, when ye come together, verse 23, if therefore the whole church become together. That's the first thing. If we're going to worship God and serve him, we come together. Now, the church is a scattered people. I don't deny this one bit. We come together to help each other so that when we scatter, we can do something. Uh, you say, well, I don't need church. Well, bless you. I don't know how you got that strong. When God commanded us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, he knew what he was talking about. We gather together that we might be able to scatter during the week. Someone says, well, what good does an hour's church service accomplish? You'd be amazed. You would be amazed. First of all, to glorify God. Don't you think it pleases our Father when we gather together? We could be home in bed. We could be home watching TV or doing the crossword puzzle. There are many things we could, many valuable things we could be doing on Sunday morning. I remember a man telling an evangelist friend of mine he couldn't come to church on Sunday morning. It was the only time he could recharge the battery in his car. And my friend said, have you ever thought about recharging the battery of your soul? When we assemble together, God is saying to us, be there. The first step in real worship is bringing our bodies to the place where the God's people are assembling. Now, I think many Christians live in 1 Corinthians 5, 3. Paul said, I'm, I'm present in spirit, but not in body. When I was being ordained and they were questioning me for ordination, it's amazing I even passed, the uh, chairman said, uh, what is the invisible church? And my answer was, that is what meets on Wednesday night. So there are many, many people who just, uh, well, they don't need to be there. Or Sunday night, they just don't need to be there. And I, I'm not talking about you because you're here. But some Sunday morning or evening or Wednesday, you may be tempted to say, well, I'm not needed down there. They won't miss me. Ah, but you may miss something. Thomas stayed home from a meeting one night. He didn't go to the meeting and he missed a lot. And all week long he was miserable because he hadn't met the risen Christ. The principle of assembling. It's a strange thing. I guess I was born 30 years too soon. In our home, we never debate, and we didn't, I, I didn't, as a, as a single person, before I was 
a pastor. We did not debate, are we going to go to church? We didn't spin a dial, flip a coin, pull anything out of a bottle. When the Lord's Day arrived, we went to God's house. There was just no question asked. It was a godly habit. Nothing wrong with habits. Habits keep you from having to make decisions all the time. I'm in such an awful habit of driving to this church. If I have to go a different place, I've got to remind myself, don't turn this way, turn this way. Nothing wrong with habit. I know where my car keys are all the time. I've got a habit of keeping them in my pocket. Some of you don't know where yours are. Some of you women can't find your keys. Now, it's a godly habit to take your body and be in church. It's as simple as that, the principle of assembling. Secondly, there's a principle of sharing. The principle of sharing. Now, when you come to God's house, come prepared to share. You say, well, I bring my offerings. That's good. Chapter 16 talks about that. He says, now concerning the collection. On the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. Nothing wrong with bringing your offering. That's sharing. A couple of weeks ago, Moody Church received an offering for famine relief in Africa, some $2,400. That's going to help somebody. Sharing. But not just sharing money. You're, you come and you sing. That's sharing. And you talk to some... Oh, you say, I don't talk to anybody around me. I might get mugged. Some of you could use an evangelical mugging. Oh, what a blessing you could be to somebody else. Just to walk up to somebody and say, well, how goes it, brother? He says, well, I'm having a rough time. Let's pray. What would happen if someone said, let's just sit down here and pray? That's what we're here for. If you want to quiet down one of God's meetings, just call for testimonies. I'll quiet it down. Or offering, that'll do it too, but testimonies. Now let's start sharing. They sit and look at each other. And then there's always someone who jumps up and takes all the time, but we don't like that. We come prepared to share. Now, there's nothing wrong with what is said in verse 26. Paul wasn't uh, being critical of what they shared. He was being critical of the way they did it. They were vying with each other. Someone comes and says, I, I have a verse I want to share. This verse meant so much to me. And some dear soul listening says, oh, that's exactly the verse I need. Somebody stands up and says, you know, I've, I've had a doctor's appointment and I was afraid about it and here's what God did. And somebody else says, oh, I'm going through the same thing. This is sharing. Now, it's difficult for us to do this on Sundays here at Moody Church. You couldn't hear each other if we did do it. We'd have to set up special microphones, I suppose. But he says in verse 26, now when you come together, if you have a song you want to sing, we'll sing it. You've got a revelation you want to share, we'd like to hear from you. Some testimony, the principle of sharing. Sharing in prayer. Sharing as the choir ministers to us and to the Lord. I cannot sing, but when they sing, it's as though they're taking my place, praising God. The principle of sharing. Now thirdly, the principle of understanding. When you gather together, you gather together to share with one another in the Spirit, and the important thing is that people understand. Now, this was one of his criticisms of their use of tongues. Tongues had gotten so out of control in the Corinthian church, and there was not always an interpreter, and, and there was confusion. Nobody could understand. I have counted here nine times where he uses the word understand. He also uses the word learn. 
Why is it people have the idea that when you come to church, you take your hat off and leave your brains with your hat and don't think? Didn't I tell you about the lady who wrote to Dr. Ralph Sockman and said to him, your sermons have been so helpful to my husband since he lost his mind? Now, friends, if we do not understand spiritual truth, we can't grow. If we don't grow, we can't go. This is why he emphasizes the Word of God. He says the important thing is not to, to perform, the important thing is not to show off. The important thing is to share the truth of the Word of God. That's what convicts sinners. That's what builds up believers, sharing the Word of God. If she's here tonight, I forgive her, because she did not give me a chance to tell her I forgive her. But on Mother's Day, I was uh, stopped by a visitor, not a visitor, someone who regularly attends here, and I was severely criticized for not preaching a Mother's Day sermon. Now, I have news for you. I will not be preaching a Father's Day sermon or a Children's Day sermon. I'm not against them. But when I'm going through the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, that to me is more important. Uh, three days later, I got a lovely letter from a lady saying, my husband and my family and I came to Chicago to celebrate Mother's Day. And we came to Moody Church, and oh, what a blessing it was. I said, praise the Lord. You see, the purpose of our gathering is not to discuss Time Magazine, Watergate, Indochina. This is not our, our reason for gathering, is to take the book and find out what it says. And when you learn and understand the Word of God, you grow. The principle of understanding. Would you notice verse, uh, verses 14 and 15? For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. See, tongues without interpretation, it's unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray also with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, apparently they even sang in tongues, and I will sing with the understanding also. This is why Pastor Dinwiddie pauses occasionally to explain something to us from the book, the hymn book. This is why often he prints the text of a choir number in the bulletin. This is also why many times songs are repeated over the course of the years. You don't get it the first time. There is to be understanding, you see. Verse 16 closes by saying, how can a person say amen to what you're saying if he doesn't understand it? We do not go away from God's house with empty minds and full hearts. Uh-uh. You don't build your worship on emotion alone. We go away from God's heart with the mind having been enlightened the heart having been stirred, and the will having been surrendered, so that body, mind, will, and heart belong to God, and we go out and serve Him. The principle of understanding. Finally, there's the principle of submitting. In verses 27 through 32, he talks about paying attention to other people. He said, now if a man is speaking and the Holy Spirit reveals something to somebody else, give way. Now today we have a little different setup. The Holy Spirit is not likely to give a revelation to somebody because we don't have prophets today. 
But the principle applies, the principle of, of submitting first to the Holy Spirit, submitting to the Word of God. I like the way Paul ends this chapter. He says to these Corinthians, do you think you can violate the Word of God? You don't go by your experience, you don't go by results, you go by the Word of God. The worship service has to be tested by the Word of God. He says, uh, did the Word of God come from you? Did you inspire it? No. Are you the only ones who have it? No. By the way, beware of those meetings where they're the only ones who have the truth. Just watch out for that. He said the Word of God didn't come from you and you aren't the only ones to have it. Don't think you're a law unto yourself. If what you do in your service does not go according to this word, you're ignorant. That's pretty strong language from an apostle. So we're submissive to one another, and we're submissive to the Holy Spirit, and we're submissive to the Word of God. I think if all of us came to God's house, first of all, with prepared bodies and minds and hearts, oh my, what a difference it would make planning to go to bed the night before. That's a, big, that's a very spiritual thing, going to bed on Saturday night. So when you wake up on Sunday morning, you don't have granulated eyelids. You're not walking around with one eye closed. You wake up and you say, thank you, Lord. It's the Lord's day. I'm going to go to church. The devil says, oh, but you've got a headache. I'm going to go to church. Oh, but you've been there already. I'm going to go to church. And we take the body and we give it to God as a living sacrifice and we assemble, we gather, and we come prepared to share. We've come with a, with a heart filled with love, with a mind open to God's truth. We've spent time reading the Word and praying. As a family, we've prayed together. What a difference it would make. You don't come to church the way you go to a basketball game, a concert. The principle of gathering and the principle of sharing and the principle of understanding and the principle of submitting. And it works. The Holy Spirit of God using God's people. We're going to be worshiping God and praising Him for all eternity. My friend Dr. Vernon McGee insists that we preachers are still going to be preaching up in heaven and teaching. Uh, I don't know. I think we're going to share with one another for all eternity and learn. But one thing I'm sure of, when we get to glory, we're going to be worshiping God, praising Him. Perfect pitch, perfect PA system, perfect tuning. Oh, it'll be my 18-part harmony. Gorgeous. Why don't we start getting into practice now? See, we won't do any soul winning up there. We won't take up any offerings up there. That makes some of you very happy. We'll not be passing out tracts, but we will be praising and worshiping God and glorifying Him. We ought to start down here. Don't you think so? And the place to do it is with the people of God. If I have a difficult time praising God in the easiest place of all, the assembly of God's people, I'm not going to do much of it out there in the world. If I have a hard time sharing with the people of God, I'll have a difficult time sharing out there in the world. When I come to the people to, to share with the people of God, it stirs me, it blesses me. At the close of a Lord's Day, I am tired, but I am blessed. 
And I say, here comes one more week. And with God's help, we can make it. You ever feel like that? I'm sure you do. Since this is the most important thing that we do, let's start doing it well now. A word to the unsaved. I never know who's in this congregation. But if somebody is with us tonight who is not a believer, you are with us physically, but certainly not spiritually. There's no togetherness. We'd love to have you come to know our Savior. We'd love to have you just bow down and say, Oh, I need Christ. Because we worship Him because He died for us. We love Him because He lives for us. We serve Him because He's coming for us. And Oh, we'd love to have you be a part of that too.